What's up, guys? It's me, Heather, back with another episode of Strike Boat, my novel, which I am podcasting for free as an audiobook. I wanted to make it available to everyone during these unprecedented times in Canada's history. And just a quick comment today that this is a long chapter. I will be breaking it into two pieces. This uh, first piece uh, shouldn't be very long because I have a huge segment in the next piece that I'm going to have to start with on my next recording. Okay, today is February 4th, 2022. Can't believe we're into the second month of the 2022nd year already. Crazy. Big things happening. Times they are a-changing. So with that, let's get down to today's reading. Chapter 18, Truth. In the crowd, Jamie was making her way to the front, Morty filming behind her. They arrived in time to capture footage of Jenna making her blessings over the crowd. When it was over, Jamie thought, my God, that may have been the most heartfelt plea for benevolence for their constituents that I've ever seen a politician make. Fighting to swallow back the lump that had formed in her throat at Jenna's words, Jamie kept her eyes on Jenna after the speech. She saw Jenna crumple, saw the man that was with her pull her to him and hold her close. She heard the silence in the aftermath of Jenna's speech become broken by the sound of a clap. Just one, and then another, and she got chills. The applause began to spread. An electric ripple of energy went through the crowd, and Jamie looked around herself. A man let out a whoop, and suddenly the crowd broke out into raucous cheering and applause. Jamie could see Ricky Jarvis, up close to the front of the crowd, still filming on his smartphone. She made her way over to him, and she saw by the shine in his eyes that he'd heard every word of Jenna's speech, and like her, been electrified by it. When Ricky saw Jamie coming towards him, smiling, Jamie saw his eyes light up with something that looked like the emotions she was feeling herself, and something in her heart caught for a second before breaking free to swirl madly around and around. She walked up to him, smiling like crazy and caring not a whit for how goofy she must look. Hey, she said. Hey, he said, blushing furiously. Thank you for the filming. You did good, but Morty's here now to take over. You can put your camera away. He broke eye contact with her to pause the video and store the phone back in his pocket. But when he was finished that task, he looked back at her with his face clouded over. He searched her eyes with his, concern etched on her forehead. I saw you on the news, he said gently. I saw you in the helicopter filming from above the landslide. I saw how upset you were. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. It must have been awful to witness. He touched her jawline with his thumb, and something about that was so gentle and so tender that she shuddered. It was, she said brokenly, and tears swam into her eyes. He held her gaze a moment longer and then pulled her against him. She felt herself leaning on him, just for a second. It was good to have his warmth and his strength to draw from. Jamie clung to him as long as she could, but she had business to attend to. I need to get to the mayor, she said. You can come. I need to speak with her and with Deb 
and with whoever it is that made up the slideshow. Ricky nodded, and then taking her hand, he turned and led her towards Deb and Victor and the small crowd from the municipal building who were standing in a huddle with Jenna and Lodi. Around them, some of the crowd was dispersing. Ricky nudged their way gently through, holding Jamie's hand, Morty behind them. When they had closed the last of the distance, Jamie approached Jenna with her right hand outstretched. You're with the news, Jenna said, and Jamie nodded. I'm Jenna Walters, mayor of Mount Bridges. Jamie shook her hand. Jamie Sinclair, ma'am, and this here's my cameraman, Morty Sampson. I believe you know Ricky Jarvis? Vic ruffled Ricky's hair. Oh yeah, he said affectionately. We know Ricky. Still think the union's dead in the water in this town? Ricky smiled. It's been a long day, Vic. I was wrong. Ricky held his hand out to shake Vic's hand, but Vic pulled him in for a quick one-arm hug. All good, my friend. You did great today. Seriously. Back at the plant, up at the highway when we were moving those concrete barriers in the crowd just then, filming. You did great, Vic said. Jamie waited for him to finish. Then she gripped Jenna's arm. Look, we need to talk. We were told at the station that there's a press conference coming on in... She broke off and looked at her watch. In two or three minutes, it's Prime Minister Wall, and from what we've been told, he's about to announce a massive evacuation of this region. Jenna spied Anderson Arthur a short ways away and signaled him over. This is Anderson Arthur. He put the slideshow together. He... I've done more than that, Madam Mayor, with all due respect, that is, he broke in abruptly casting a sheepish grin over at Jenna as he finished the sentence. Up until yesterday, I was in charge of a team of forensic geologists who have been studying nothing else but the damage this microfracking has caused for the last several months. If you have any questions, I'm the man to ask. Perhaps we should step inside the building for a moment where we can discuss things in quiet, Jenna suggested. Debbie and Victor, Wanda, Mary, Carrie and Tamara, Mr. James Lodi, he broke in, and she flashed him a distracted smile. Lodi then, Jay Marksman, Mr. Arthur, and your friend, Mr. Summers, the one with the red hair. Then there's you, Miss Sinclair, and your cameraman, and Ricky Jarvis here. Am I missing anyone? Morty Sampson put his hand up. I might just as well stay out here if it's all the same to you, he told her. I've got a public address system in the van and a decent-sized screen. If I hurry, I might be able to broadcast the Prime Minister's address, give the rest of these people out here a little heads up what's going on. Jay Marksman was nodding. I was thinking that same thing, he said, smiling. Name's Marksman, compadre. I'm the IT guy hereabouts. Be happy to give you a hand setting that up. Morty nodded, and Jay looked the question at Jenna. Oh, go on. Go ahead. It's a good idea. Oh, and how are we going to watch it inside? Power's still out, isn't it? On it, Carrie said. Smartphone. We can watch on the cellular data. He wiggled his cell phone. Hey, Jay, you want me to take the laptop, keep running the live stream, give you a break from carrying it for a while? Jay laughed. Sure thing, boss. He handed it over, then turned to Morty. Let's go. The small party Jenna had named turned to go back into the building, but Jenna hung back. She saw that Lodi James had hung back as well. 
After the rest of them disappeared inside, he stood by the entrance door, waiting for her, holding it open for her with a gentle expression on his face. Thanks, she told him, ducking in under his arm. She paused with her hand on the bottom of the banister and one foot on the first step. You didn't have to wait for me. He fell in beside her as they began the climb. Yeah, I know. I just thought I would in case anyone gave you any trouble. Or in case Doucette shows up again, he added inside his mind, his expression hardening. She looked at him from the corner of her eye. He really is so handsome, she thought, with a body that, let's be honest, a woman didn't come across every day. She was amused by his apparent need to keep an eye on her. But if she was truthful with herself, she'd have to admit that she was starting to like it. This day had been a crazy one so far, but maybe something good might come of it at that. He seemed to be echoing her thoughts. You did great out there, he said softly, really genuine and touching, brave. It takes courage to expose yourself like that. It takes vulnerability and humility, something that is altogether lacking with most politicians. He laughed. Thanks. A flush of color seared across her cheeks. She changed the subject, kind of. You weren't so bad yourself. When you came out with the megaphone, I nearly cheered out loud. She stammered a bit on the next sentence. I know it's none of my business, but is there, is there a Mrs. Lodi James? Her voice went quiet at the end. She cocked her head and looked at him sideways feeling her heart flutter in her chest. He flicked a glance her way, then laughed. Uh, well, no, there isn't. I haven't managed to meet anyone yet who could put up with me. I've got baggage, PTSD, from my time in the service. Her forehead creased. She looked at him inquiringly, and he answered with a word. Kandahar, he said simply. They had reached the top of the stairs. She stopped walking and placed a hand on his arm. A look passed between them. She saw that he had wounds inside and wished that she could do something for him to help him heal. She tried to find some words to say that might convey what she wanted to tell him. Out there, she said softly, there was a point when I almost collapsed. You were there. You held me up. She searched his eyes with hers. Maybe I can do the same for you sometime. She saw him close his eyes. A muscle in his jaw tightened. She felt him wince as though her words had touched a nerve. Maybe, he said, opening his eyes and looking back at her. Someday. She squeezed his hand and then together they walked into the council chambers. Carrie was just finishing setting up the laptop in place to stream from. I'm going to try connecting the battery back up off another unit. Might give us a bit more time. He fiddled with something on the back of the machine. Beside him, Tamara scrolled through her smartphone, trying to find the link that would take them to the live news feed on the CBC's website. It was about to begin. Jamie Sinclair beckoned Jenna over, and Lodi James went with her. We were told there's some kind of evacuation plan in progress. The government wants people. Excuse me, sorry. The government wants people out of the Great Lakes region. We're all supposed to tell us how to go about it. They settled around the smartphone and it began.
The press conference broadcast started with a shot of an empty podium, an array of microphones poised and ready to capture the words that would be spoken by Canada's top authority. By now, it was no secret that something big was going on. More than 700 bodies had been pulled from the waters of Georgian Bay, and the number was steadily climbing. What was left of the Bruce hung precariously on its footings. A digital screen behind the podium depicted aerial footage of the sinkholes that were popping open everywhere. Southwestern Ontario was starting to look like Swiss cheese, and a pall of sick and angry anticipation hung over Jenna and the small crowd of people that watched, clustered around the screen in the council chambers. A crimson drape at the back of the room swished, and Prime Minister Wall emerged to stand behind the podium. A riot of flash went off. He raised his hand to shield his eyes and thought the microphones angled in front of them had never before looked so much like the retaining wall of a prison barricade. String a line of razor wire between them and you'd have yourself a pretty good ivory tower, he thought. He braced one hand on each side of the lectern, taking a moment to look out over the sea of press people as he waited for the rustling to diminish. All too soon, it did. A hush fell, the hum of electricity becoming audible. He cleared his throat. He did not need to compose his face into an expression of appropriate solemnity the way he usually did in times of crisis. Today, his face was ashen. God damn you, Cochrane. He took a breath and began to speak. My fellow Canadians, it is with a heavy heart that I inform you of the biggest disaster to hit this great country in our lifetimes. The land beneath southwestern Ontario has become structurally unsound, and millions of people's lives are now at stake. Wall paused to let the information digest, noting that behind the cameras, even these most seasoned of journalists were having difficulty maintaining a bland expression. Their keen attentiveness faltered. They blinked at each other, stunned. Wall felt a weight on his chest, unlike any he'd ever felt before. There was nothing to do but continue. I don't need to tell you about the earthquake swarms that have been occurring. We don't know what's causing them, whether it's a new fault line or what, but my office has confirmed that the area has become uninhabitable. This land sits on a shale bed, which in turn sits on the granite that makes up the Earth's crust. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that granite has been compromised. Multiple, multiple fissures have been detected in the bedrock. It's broken. This is the cause of the sinkholes that have been opening up across the region. As the quakes continue, so will the sinkholes. Another process triggered by the earthquakes is liquefaction. What happens with that process is that vibrations from the earthquakes loosen up the water molecules from the ground and bring them to the surface. As it stands to reason, land that is surrounded on all sides by lake shores holds a lot of water in its soil. What happened on the Bruce is that the liquefaction process brought enough water to the surface that the land let go. I wish that I could tell you that was the worst it's going to get but I'm afraid it's not. The quakes are going to continue, and as a result, 
no shoreline in southwestern Ontario is safe. We've had one major landslide already. There will be others. The death toll from that disaster is expected to top 10,000 souls by nightfall. Here in Ottawa, our hearts go out to those who have lost their lives and all who have been left behind to mourn their loss. The Prime Minister broke off speaking and raised his eyes heavenward. He crossed himself and said a quick internal prayer to the Virgin Mary. Pray for us sinners, he was thinking. Overt displays of religiosity were a tactic that had served him well throughout his election. Playing the pious card bought him votes. He hadn't done it publicly since 2005, and back then it carried no more depth of feeling than a phony smile. Oddly enough, this time he found he meant it. Another outcome of all the seismic activity is that the Bruce Peninsula has been dislodged from its foundation. Anyone who's ever been up there will know that rock is full of slate, and slate is brittle. As a boy, I used to vacation up in Tobermory with my parents. I used to skip slate rocks out into the water of Dunks Bay. They were the finest rocks for skipping in the world, but that's what put the Bruce in jeopardy. Slate shears off along the horizontal plane. As much as it pains me to say it, I've been told the rest of the Bruce is going to fall. A layer of slate below the waterline has broken loose. The peninsula has separated from the mainland. The only thing that holds it where it lays is the resistance of friction, but it will go. A few more quakes and it'll go. I wish it wasn't so, but I'm afraid it is. Wall broke off speaking. As he looked out over the crowd, his eyes took on a sheen of tears. He pressed a hand to the bridge of his nose and squeezed until white flashes appeared behind his lids. I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. He dropped his hand inside, and when he looked back up into the cameras, his face was resigned. There is also the impact on the nuclear plant to be considered. My staff is aware of problems that are already arising there due to the quakes. There's no telling what could happen if the nuclear plant becomes inundated. The risk of nuclear meltdown is great. It is a very, very real and dangerous threat. In light of the potential for unspeakable danger this presents, we can't take too much time to dwell on the terrible loss of life that has been now been suffered. We need to focus on the rest of you, the survivors. Southwestern Ontario is going to sink. The geological process called subsidence has begun. The screen behind the Prime Minister was broadcasting footage taken from a moving helicopter. The camera panned over the countryside where several fires burned. In many places, deep brown gashes rent the earth, and the camera focused in on one particularly bad one, the pilot hovering low above the fissure to show the depth and breadth of the expanse. Black water lay in the bottom. The camera panned across the landscape to take in fissures that were scattered through the region. The landscape bore the look of rot, oozing like pustules on decaying flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're looking at on the screen behind me is the surface layer of the earth beginning the process of collapsing inwards into the mantle. 
There is no safe place left in southwestern Ontario. The subsidence is going to happen soon, and when it does, the loss of life will be unimaginable. We simply cannot avoid what's happening. Wall paused, his mouth firming into a hard line. He looked out beyond the camera crews. The room he stood in had a glass-walled vestibule, and outside of it, a mass of protesters had gathered in Ottawa. On spying them, he nodded slowly to himself, and then he spoke. As a result, I hereby order the evacuation of southwestern Ontario. Wall paused to let the bombshell he'd just dropped sink in. Reporters gaped at each other in the press room, stunned. His eyes fell on one young intern who had until that moment been scribbling furiously on her notepad. As her scrawling caught up with what he'd said, she looked up, shock evident on her face, and let her pen and face go slack. Wall met her eyes and nodded, resolute. A map appeared on the screen behind him. A thick red line ran down the U.S. border between Sarnia and Windsor, snaked along the north shore of Lake Erie to Buffalo, and wound its way around the west end of Lake Ontario up to Oshawa. From there, the red line rose north to Aurelia, then traced the southern contour of Georgian Bay, up the east side of the Bruce, then back down the west, following the shore of Lake Huron, back to Sarnia. A red message began to flash across the middle of the isolated area in the center. Evac zone. The effect was instantaneous. A roar of disbelief went through the crowd. Reporters started firing questions at the Prime Minister, but he held up a hand for silence. I will not be taking questions. There is still much information to convey. Of primary importance in the evacuation are those currently stranded on the Bruce Peninsula. We've got to get those people off. If you're listening to me right now from on the Bruce, please make your way to the evacuation points set up along the coastline. All municipal boat docks have evacuation crews at the ready to assist you. When you get on the boats, you will be taken to land-based evacuation centers. These centers will be set up in every major city, every downtown core. Those who do not have vehicles of their own or do not have access to public transit before we shut it down at midnight. Wait a minute, you're going to shut down public transit tonight at midnight? An angry young reporter stood up and yelled this at the prime minister. Wall brushed a silver gray lock of his hair back from his forehead. Now that the bottom, now that the bomb had been dropped, he was all business. We have no choice. Our transit systems are operated by frontline workers citizens, human beings just like you who are bravely going to continue working at great personal risk until then. We can't ask them to stay past midnight. So yes, the public transit will cease operating tonight at midnight. As I was saying, if you don't make your way there to the public transit and avail yourself to the opportunity to use it before then, your only recourse will be the evacuation points. Wall swallowed hard. Here came the difficult part. 
At the evacuation points, buses will be made available to take you out of the evac zone and to a safety camp in northern Ontario, but there will be conditions. You will have to receive an injection before boarding. The injection will contain a medicine to help with any potential radiation impacts from the nuclear explosion. A forced injection? Are you for real? That will never fly here. This is Canada. You can't use an emergency to justify giving people an injection they don't want. There was a hubbub in the room, reporters calling out comments and looking at each other in disbelief. Wall loosened his tie. Look, the government is taking on your care at that point. You will be clothed and housed and fed, and you will receive publicly funded health care. By accepting these injections, you will be doing your part to lessen the burden on our health resources should a nuclear event occur. The injection is to help you. It's to help all of us. Our healthcare system will be overburdened as it is when the subsidence occurs. There will be casualties. The shot is just to help reduce that burden, lowering the impacts of radiation poisoning so our healthcare system can do its job. Taking the shot is really the least you can do. Jesus fucking Christ, Cochran, Wall was thinking. I hope you're fucking happy. Time for bombshell number two. There will also be a financial waiver to sign. In signing it, you will be absolved of all debt. You will be released from any payments on any contracts, leases, mortgage payments, car loans, or insurance premium, etc., which are tied to tangible objects in the evac zone. If you do not sign, those debts will still exist, even though at some point those properties and objects will be underwater. You will have no assets, no unemployment, no means of generating income for a while. The government has taken the generous step of allowing you to waive your financial obligations, but to do that there will be a form you have to sign before getting on the buses to the relocation camp. The young intern with the pen and notebook stood up. Sir, if I'm understanding you correctly, before boarding a bus to evacuate them out of an area that you are telling us is structurally unsound and not survivable, Canadians will have to accept a forced injection and sign their debts over to you? Well nodded. That's right. The debt forgiveness is a golden opportunity for those who take advantage of it, even those who leave the evac zone in personal vehicles or on public transit before we shut it down at midnight will have the opportunity to sign the debt forgiveness form. It will be available to everybody. At what cost? Financial servitude? Enslavement? Heads whipped around. The voice had come from one of the protesters who had managed to open the door enough to poke his face inside. He withdrew his head and turned to the large crowd behind him. Hey, everybody, now they're trying to implement a social credit system. This is bullshit. Security bustled over and locked the doors, cutting him off mid-sentence. By this point, nearly every reporter in the room was on their feet, waving their arms in the air, trying to ask questions. The hubbub was loud. Wall held up a hand. I'm not taking any more questions. If you have questions, you can direct them to my staff after the press conference. People of Canada, hear me now. 
those of you inside the evac zone are hereby ordered to evacuate. The land you're standing on may well be underwater by this evening. And what's left will be a wasteland. Services like electricity, broadband, cellular service, and running water will be turned off at midnight also. You've got no choice. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to lose our land. If you are inside this perimeter, depicted on this map, I now officially order you to leave. The Americans are issuing the same directive in the affected areas on their side of the border. Get to your cars and leave. Get to the airports and train stations. Get to the bus depots. Get there before midnight. Travel fares have been suspended, as have all non-essential flights and rail services. In short, all forms of transport that can get you out of the at-risk area have been commandeered for the evacuation, but the service ends at midnight. We need you people out of harm's way as fast as possible. Traffic incoming to the evac zone by way of the 400 series highways has been halted. Those roads are open only for evacuations. Some of them are already unstable, so be careful. We've got a crisis center set up to take in refugees. Wall's voice broke on the word. He winced, put his fist to his mouth to hide the trembling of his lower lip, then soldiered on resolutely. In northern Michigan, care will be provided for you once you get there. But Prime Minister Wall, one young reporter called from about halfway deep in the pack, what about this slideshow at Get Off the Bruce? What about these allegations that billionaires from FLAG are responsible for all of this? Wall gritted his teeth. Cochrane would be paying keen attention to the answer that he gave, he knew, and Cochrane knew how to get to Wall's daughters. That is hardly the priority right now. We've got our people looking into it. That's all I can tell you. He swallowed, feeling the click as the back of his throat went dry. Until the crisis passes, we'll be focusing on the evacuation and nothing else. The Prime Minister finished speaking and raised his hand to his face, rubbing at the pounding in his forehead for a moment. Then he looked up. One more thing, he said. I realize that some of you might be tempted to stay behind, but fellow Canadians, hear me now. If you do, if you make that foolhardy decision to try to ride this out, or if you're unwilling to take the injection of a reasonable, safe medicine to help reduce the burden on our healthcare system, while you get yourself to high ground, you get yourself and your supplies of food and fuel and water and whatever else you'll need and get to the highest, hardest ground that you can find. This thing is coming. I wish to God it wasn't, but it is. And when it does, I don't want anyone saying I didn't warn them. He finished speaking, saluted grimly to the crowd, and then he turned on his heel and strode out of the press room, leaving the red velvet curtain swishing. So we'll leave it there for today and be back tomorrow with the second half of chapter 18, Truth. Um, yeah, quite the story and quite the chain of events in real life. Forced injections, social credit system, protesters gathering in Ottawa. Yeah, I can't believe it. What a time to be alive. Stay free.